work it is. Right, I've got something for you to do. Uh, what do they have in common? I'm going to show you five photographs. And that's the question. What have they in common? So, here we go. First one. Can you see it? A bit small. Got it? Number two. So what do they have in common? Royal weddings, yeah, photographs. That's not the answer I'm looking for. No? Any other thoughts? Eh? Family. Family, yes. Yeah. What they have in common is that I was never asked to any of them. <laughs> so I think you would have been here a bit... Uh, Longer than uh, lunchtime, uh, trying to work that one out. How could they organise a wedding and not ask me? I know about these people. I can even put a name to their faces. But you know, I was never asked to any of their weddings. Now I know something about them. I could probably recognise them in the street if I bumped into them. But still, I was never invited. I'm not a relative. I'm not even a friend of the bride or the bridegroom. I was just never asked. I was just never invited. So to compensate for my failure in getting a, a, a wedding invitation, I thought I would take each one of us to a wedding uh, today. And I wonder if you are the sort of person who starts reading a book and then you have a quick sneaky peek at the end of the book to see how it all ends. Well, you can kind of do that in the Bible as well. And that's what I'm doing. I've got some verses from Revelation chapter 19. Revelation is the last book. And if you want to see how things uh, pan out, if you like, how it all ends, you'll see who wins, but also you'll see who loses at the end of the Bible. There are many things still to happen. <coughs> we are going to delve into the future and we're going to read a few pages from the last uh, part of the Bible. Revelation chapter 19 and chapter 20, I would call them as climax chapters. We're really getting to a point which is so vital and important. We're coming to something very special when we read this book. Jesus is coming back. He's returning to earth. We've kind of been singing about that. Is going to establish an earthly kingdom. When you get to chapter 19, I assume you've read chapter 18, and we discover there's a great city, a great earthly system. It's a wicked city, completely godless, rejecting anything to do with God or Christians. And here's a worldly system upon which millions of people depend. And a voice warns God's people, get out of that place. It's doomed. That system of commerce, of banking, of trade. And the city is going to be devastated by God. There's a point in time in the future where God says, enough is enough. I've had enough. And God acts in a final way. And the world as we know it is coming to an end. Because you see, God wants his creation back. Terrible destruction of an evil city in, in chapter 18. Of an evil system. It's going to take place. 
and forever is the gone is the commercial trade and banking, the politics and the structures they have within that great city. It's gone. Jesus' message in chapter 18 of Revelation says this. <clears throat> you can rebel against me, but you see you will be crushed. And says God, you'll be crushed forever. With no opportunity like this city ever to be rebuilt or restructured. So chapter 18 gives us a vivid picture of a God of a coming day where there's punishment and where there is judgment upon people. But God's judgment, if you read it, is very swift. And it only takes one angel to sort it. The angel is hardly ever even out of breath. And the destruction is carried out. Swift. God's judgment is swift. And God's punishment is eternal. Whenever we speak of a city like we see here, it's an important world system. And it's gone. The great cries out for the kings of the earth from the merchants, rich sea captains who are wealthy from its trade. Nations were deceived because of this city. And here's with such violence the great city was thrown down, never to be found again. The music, music is gone. Never heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. Such is the violence, such is the destruction of this great city. Never to be found again. One angel, a strong angel, destroys the city. The city's gone. But if you look at the end of the book, and you're trying to work the plot out to see who wins... In these final few verses, we discover it's not people, it's God who wins. This is important. Those who are actually on God's side are the victors. And anyone else are simply losers. That's the way it works. But losers not just for a little time, but losers for an eternity. And how can you possibly measure the, the length of eternity their swift judgment from God. It's an eternal sentence from God. But God delivers his people. Those who are on his side are being delivered from their enemies. God is working always with his people. Because God stoops down and God loves those who are his. The destruction of the last and most powerful empire in history begins to mark the end of people's, humans' day. The rebellion that started at the beginning of the Bible is being dealt with at the end of the Bible. The rebellion against God is finally ended here in the book of Revelation. The entire sorry story is a story of human depravity which will finally be vanquished. So chapters 18 and 19 are the points in time when the evil in the world is beginning to be destroyed. But that's not the end. God's kingdom comes in its fullness and in, in its completeness. I said earlier I'm going to take you to a wedding and that's exactly what we've got in chapter 19. 
The chapter is one of the most dramatic of all in the Bible. Now since chapter 6 of Revelation, the focus is on the earth. But when chapter 90 opens, we're in a different place. The scene has changed. It's heaven where the focus is now. And the verse, verse 1 of 19 is wonderful. And if there's silence in the destroyed city in chapter 18, there's something absolutely different in chapter 19. After this, says John, I heard what sounded like a mighty shout of a great crowd in heaven, explaining hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. There's shock and devastation in chapter 18. But now there's a wonderful mighty shout at the start of 19. I like what John says. Sounds like he's never heard this ever before. So he's just kind of comparing it to what he knows. It kind of sounds like this is the best he can do. But I kind of get the point, what he's saying. He might not have heard this before, but it's a mighty shout of a great crowd in heaven. Quite an accurate description. Again, I get the message. He's trying his best to describe a scene in the future. And uh, a description of the noise. A mighty shout of a great crowd in heaven. Hallelujah. The wedding venue is actually in heaven. The venue is unique. Because never before have they ever held a wedding in there. And... Never in the future will there be another wedding like this. It's a one-off. But what a venue to go to a wedding. Far beyond any of the great hotels that I've attended, weddings. Much larger than any weddings uh, we might have attended. And an awful lot noisier than weddings that I've attended. And the wedding photos I showed you earlier are going to fade into insignificance compared to what's happening in chapter 19 of Revelation. Now, wedding invitations, which I sadly didn't get. I made this one up. Um, that's as near as I could get it. But if we were invited to a royal wedding, the invitation would have pride of place in my home. And every visitor would see it. Do you know I'm going to the wedding? Uh, and uh, they would show people the invitation. And it's the sort of thing you kind of keep for, your, for a lifetime. Occasionally showing it to your family. Do you know I was at that wedding? Um, and anybody, neighbours or whoever, whether they are interested or not. But it's a special thing, the invitation to a wedding. What surprises me that nobody's going to get an invitation to this wedding in chapter 19. The marriage of the Lamb. Christians are not Christians because they're born. They become Christians because they are reborn. We become Christians by, by virtue of a personal decision. At some moment in our lives, maybe as a young person, middle age or even old age, or maybe the age we are today, we make a decision for God and we become a Christian. You know, as soon as an individual makes a decision to become a Christian, that person's name goes onto the guest list of that wedding. There's no mistakes. As a Christian, my name's there. I don't need an invitation card 
I'll be there. And each Christian here today, you'll be there as well. And we'll be singing our hallelujahs. Who knows, I might be standing next to you. Let me know, will you, in case I forget who you are. What a wonderful thought. The invitation to the marriage of the Lamb. I wonder how many of us will be there shouting our hallelujahs to our God as we see in chapter 1, chapter 19, verse 1. How many of us, because of our failure to commit to God, how many of us, because of our failure to act upon opportunity after opportunity we've had to put our lives right with God, I wonder how many of us today will not be there on that wedding day. Every Christian here this Sunday will be there. We're on the guest list. And let me tell you something else. God provides the transport. And I don't know about you, but I'm going first class. When it comes to weddings, I discovered these things. Fascinators. <laughs> I, I thought I was a wee bit educated. I hadn't a clue what a fascinator I was fascinated by fascinators. Um, <laughs> so, following an invitation, there's usually a scramble to get something new. Fascinators, and of course, you've got to get matching handbags uh, as well, so they tell me. Um, something nice. Hoping, of course, nobody else has got the same thing. Well, with the fascinator comes... The need to be matched, colour matched. Us men, it's usually a pair of socks or a tie, colour coordinated, of course. But don't worry about this future wedding of the lamb. We've actually all got bespoke tailored garments prepared, made to measure for the marriage of the lamb. And you know they're going to fit perfect. It doesn't matter. I, I was speaking to someone recently who who owns, uh, does alterations in, in Lithgow where I stay. And she was saying, I'm having a nightmare. There's a wedding coming up and three bridesmaids are fine. They've got it all worked out. And there's one who's trying to slim. And she keeps saying, no, I'll, I'll come back later on when I'll, because it'll be a different measurement. And the poor, the poor girl that's doing the bridesmaids' dresses have an absolute nightmare trying to work this. We've got bespoke garments that are going to be perfectly fitting us. And seven, seven and eight, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Let us rejoice. So we have a wedding without a physical invitation. We've got a journey to the wedding and the uh, venue that's provided. But what Revelation tells me is that everything we need as a guest for the wedding is provided. I like those weddings. The clothes are provided. And it's, usually, it's usual for guests to provide a gift. One thing as well I've discovered that when the bride has got like a wedding list in John Lewis or other places, um, I've learnt that you get in very quick. If you take it 
if you leave it for a week or two, you're actually left with the 48-inch TV or the dishwasher <laughs> or the three-piece suite and uh, what happened to the dish towels and the, the you know. Um, so you usually have to get in, don't leave it too late. But you see at the marriage of the Lamb, we don't give a gift. We don't take a gift with us. We don't give him a gift because the gift has been provided. The gift is provided. In fact, the lamb is the gift. The lamb. The lamb which takes away the sin of the world. It's the lamb, the bridegroom, who makes conversion and repentance possible. Here's God's gift to me. So it's a strange kind of wedding where you don't give gifts to the bride or the bridegroom. And of course, we have our famous um, John 3.16, which reminds me of the gift, the lamb slain for me. For God so loved the world that he gave. There's the gift. What did he give? His one and only son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. You see, at the very centre of God's love, there's a gift. Notice that word gave. The gift comes from God. And where does it go? It comes in my direction. And God's gift can come in your direction also this morning. God's wonderful gift. But you see, with gifts, you've got options. You either take it or you leave it. You accept it or you reject it. Rejection of the gift means we're really in a bit of bother, a bit of trouble. Check out the book of Revelations if you're not sure. Check out John 3.16. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. If you believe, you don't perish. If you don't believe, you do perish. It's a frightening verse, yet it's at the very heart is love and the gift of a son to the world. By believing conversion and repentance there's eternal life we've got God's promise here and we've also got an assurance about his gift Christmas is all about the gift of God God offers a gift but maybe that gift has been rejected by you time and time again or going to be rejected in a few minutes as you walk out of this place Yet each Christian becomes totally wrapped up in God's wonderful love. So we have the marriage of the Lamb. The Lamb, the gift, the bridegroom. And we have God's church, who is the bride. Every Christian, a part of this ceremony. The marriage involves the bridegroom, that is Jesus. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Verse 5 of chapter 5 of Revelation. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not cry, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That's another name of Jesus. The Lion of the tribe of Judah has won the battle. He is the root of David. He is able to break seven seals and open the scrolls. And then a wonderful verse, chapter 5, verse 6. Then I saw a lamb. That's God's gift. That looked as if he had been put to death. The lamb of God. 
The lamb that is Jesus. He is the bridegroom. And he takes away the sin of the world. And he takes away my sin. And your sin. That's the reason I'm going to be at the wedding. He's got me all sorted. He wants to take away your sin. So that you can come to the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. If I think just for a moment about us, the church of God. People, we are going to be there. Church members, the bride of the Lamb. We've got certain characteristics. Those people on the, on, the wedding, on the wedding list are individuals who have experienced conversion. What is conversion? Conversion is, take, is turning from our old ways, turning from our sin, and turning to be the servant of the living and true God through repentance and personal faith in Jesus Christ. There's such a contrast between how we want to live our lives and how God wants to live our lives. There's a difference there. Conversion is a work in which God takes the initiative and in which he requires our response as the gospel is understood. And I wonder this morning, is God taking the initiative with you right now? Conversion is turning away, is turning with sincerity to God. We have options in life. And conversion is turning from and turning to a God who loves us. We turn from the world, from our personal sinful lifestyle and life state, and we turn to a living God. Conversion is a is of the heart. Conversion is something which is real. Something which has to be true. And something which has to be honest. Conversion is for sin is good. Because that includes me. The Bible tells us it also includes you. Repentance is an essential part of conversion. Conversion is recognizing that Jesus Christ is a shepherd. He's a lamb. He's a sacrifice. He's an overseer of my soul. And through conversion, we can come back to him. Through conversion, we can move from the position we are in right now to a position where God wants us to be. Conversion makes me a new creation. At conversion, we receive the gospel we, re, we also take our stand upon it. And we are saved by it. And we are to hold firmly to it. Through the personal experience of conversion, we receive forgiveness of sins. And we also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Conversion says, I'm serving the living, the real and the true God. Conversion says, I am committed to obedience to God. And you know, conversion says, God requires of me a step 
that I need to take. It's personal. It's between you and God. And God wants to restore us back to him. Wonderful thing that such a loving God wants to do that with us. Bring us back. Restore us. He wants us to take that step of faith and say, here am I, Lord, take me. Both men and women, young or old, we're all asked to repent and turn to God. One simple reason, so that our sin, our wrongdoing might be wiped out and we might be put right. Another word, an important word, is the word repent. Repent says, I'm going to turn from my old ways to God and experience a new life. There's going to be a change of mind and a change in my heart about the way I've been leading my life. Unless we repent, says the Bible. Sadly, it says, if we don't repent, we perish. That's something to think about. Repentance is the first response God demands on us. If we're going to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, repent is a condition whereby we are cleansed. And it's a condition of forgiveness. Repentance is a condition of entry into the kingdom of heaven. Repentance, you see, gets a person to the marriage of the Lamb in Revelation 19. Repentance gives you the opportunity to sing and shout your hallelujahs to the king in Revelation 19. Repentance is a condition of eternal life. You see, no repentance, no eternal life. That's the way it works. Repentance is a condition of escaping the judgment of God on sinners. There's no sin in heaven. There's going to be no sinners in heaven. Only those who have been forgiven. If repentance is the first part of conversion, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ must be the second part. So we have a wedding. And we have, firstly, a wedding without a physical invitation. We've got a journey to the wedding venue. That's all provided. But what Revelation tell me is this. Is that everything we need as a guest for that wedding is provided. And that brings us back to conversion and repentance. Rejection of God's gift means very simply we're going to perish. Check out the book of Revelation. Check out John 3 and 16. But by believing, by conversion, by repentance, there's eternal life, says the Bible. And says Jesus Christ. You know, we've got God's promise. But we've also got his assurance for the future and you know the wonderful thing about this is that Christians have got a hope for the future I've never known our country to be in such a mess than what it is just now and I, I've got to the point where I've had enough and the only thing that kind of keeps me going at times is knowing that God is in control it's no London it's no Brussels it's heaven, it's God I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think they know what's going to happen. But God is in control. And that, is, that gives me hope for my today. 
and it gives me precious hope for tomorrow. It's a wonderful thought, God's promise. And as each Christian, we become totally wrapped up in God's wonderful love. It's a wonderful feeling of security when we have that and when we have a hope for him. So there's the marriage of the Lamb to look forward to. There's the whole of eternity to look forward to. And also we started this Sunday by asking questions. And um, uh, what do they have in common? They are that for a Christian. The one thing we have in common is that each one of us are going to the marriage of the Lamb. And they are part of it. They are guests. They are the bride. And the simple question this morning is, is your name on the guest list? Do you have that hope? Do you have that assurance? Well, I see you there. Will you maybe at my side and we'll shout hallelujahs uh, together? Will we say to one another, how good you look this morning? How smart, how radiant we have become. May every one of us here this Sunday have a wedding invitation prepared and waiting for us. May we have the assurance that our names are on the guest list on that day of celebration. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every one of us was at that wedding, that we could see everyone? Wouldn't it be wonderful if maybe one or more names were added to the guest list this morning? Repentance, conversion, the steps that we need to personally take. By becoming a Christian, our names are on the guest list. Because we each then become part of God's wonderful family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, prepare our hearts to welcome the Lamb just now. And so may we be ready to welcome you when you come again. Loving God, teach us not just to know about your invitation to meet with Jesus, but to respond and know him for ourselves. Lord Jesus, touch our lives with your healing forgiveness and put a new heart and a right spirit within us so that we may truly love you and faithfully serve you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.